Okay, so RTs sometimes feel voiceless within the hospital microcosm. Matt, Butler, Walsh, and I felt like we can help give RTs a voice by literally giving them the mic. That's what you'll be hearing today. Different voices and stories from the American Association for Respiratory Care Congress, or AARC, that occurred last week. Today's show will be a little different than our normal episodes. You'll hear from different respiratory leaders who stop by our booth to chat. I have to apologize for the audio. You'll definitely be hearing some noise in the background, but I hope that makes you feel like you were there. So, from New Orleans, Louisiana, this is RT Sidebar. I'm Anna Hayes. Stay tuned. The first respiratory leader you'll be hearing from today is Rodney Beavis from Tampa. Quick note on Rodney. Next to him is his pulmonary disease navigator, Ashley, who was beaming watching her RT director speak. She adamantly enjoys working in Tampa with Rodney, and it was tangible. It's incredible to have a glimpse into their dynamics and teamwork. So here is Rodney. What what have you learned here at the conference so far? Well, one of the most of the ones I've been focusing on is things from a leadership standpoint, um, looking at what these presenters are presenting what they've done different in their departments, either pushing forward best practice, um, evidence-based changes for patient care, safety, um, and um, doing it with um, trying to, and how you can maybe change, move staff and get rid of unwanted, not, well, not unwanted, but unnecessary therapy that's out there that respiratory therapists get bogged down with, and some other things in um, how to better manage some of our like COPD patient population, because that's like a huge passion of mine with those patients. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything you've learned from AARC that you're going to bring to Tampa, you know, on Monday? Like, is there anything here that... Yes, uh, and actually I know really um, from the keynote speaker, Dr. Ely, he really brought out some some great points, and, and I've always been a big advocate of... of quicker extubation times and even that's one thing I pushed but he kind of brought in some things and I've even spoken actually ironically this morning on a on a conference call with my chief nursing officer and our chief medical officer of of how can we sit down with intensivists and maybe implement some more of these things to even make it even more efficient. I, I thought his compassion was really powerful too. Yeah it was he did a great job probably so far I would say that's the best of, of all the things I've heard. The keynote speaker at AARC, who Rodney is referring to, was Dr. Wes Ely. And the book Rodney is describing is Every Deep Drawn Breath. I haven't read it yet. I did buy two copies because so many people spoke highly about it. The cover says it's a blend of science, medical history, patient stories, and personal reflection. Dr. Ely describes his mission to prevent ICU patients from being harmed by the technology that is keeping them alive. This is not a plug for the book, but you will hear our next respiratory leader describe the book as well. This is Chaz, a program director from Cali. My name is Chaz Burke. Where are you from? Uh, Los Angeles, California. 
and how are you liking AARC? Oh, I like it. It's good. You get to learn more information. You stay updated on uh, the latest and greatest in respiratory. You get to hear some stories you might not think are for real. Uh, as an educator, it's good to be up on the most current technology. So, yeah, it's great. What is one thing you've learned at AARC that you're going to bring back to the Compassion. And that there are people in our industry that have it. Even though we see a lot that don't have it, and people just do their job. And Dr. Eli, was that his name, I think, Dr. Eli? Yeah. He showed me people really do and can care. Do you feel reinvigorated a little bit? Uh, from listening to his? Absolutely. I wish... Actually, I had talked to Wendy about this the other day. I wish more respiratory therapists approached our patients with the kind of care that he had rather than just going in and getting a job done and leaving. And he just showed what it's like to have true bedside manner and care for the outcome of the patient's survival, not just getting through the day. Why do you think RTs are... Why do you think that situation has occurred? Why do you perhaps have a compassion for I think some of it's burnout. Some of it you get into routines because people go through normal um, rhythms of how to take care of their patient when everyone's different and the same patient can be different on any day. Same patient can be different several times in one day. And we don't, a lot of people don't maneuver with it. And then the care is not there. So to see that doctor's care for that patient like that was truly incredible. You know, and he's from a whole different level of education and what he's got to do for that patient than what we do. So it was really inspiring. What is the future of respiratory in your opinion? Oh, I think it's actually much better. I think there is more of a future than was prior. The several conventions I've gone to over the last five years, you can just see the growth. Um, things as simple as the, the uh, improvement of, on ventilators, where they've come from, especially the ventilator uh, uh, session I went to, the history of it, to see just something as simple as an anchor fast and how people are still trying to improve upon that. You can just see that it's getting better. And as an ICU therapist working with the intensivists and the growing respect that I see from when I first started, and that was only 10 years ago. You know, we didn't, in the hospitals I worked at, we didn't have the intensivist programs. So you had to call the doc. The doc was like, I'll be in later on to see the patient. Now there's more of that direct interaction, and they, at least I can say that, they res if they respect you, they expect a lot from you when they see you, and they want to be working with you. So there's more to it today than I think was just even 10 years ago. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, we got the respect after COVID because yeah. we were there. Yeah. Tip of the spear. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yep. And then what about the profession, uh, the new the new generations coming in? Are you inspired by them? You are teaching them. You. I am. I am. I don't think... I am in the aspect that I love doing what I do, but it's interesting to see because I don't think they really know what they're getting into. And that's no different than me, really. When I got into respiratory, I didn't even know what the respiratory field was. I didn't know there was a, such a career such as a respiratory therapist. So I actually went to a school to apply for a uh, surgical tech position. But I originally went looking to apply for a nursing program. And then I found the respiratory program. So, I mean, you get to see them from walking in on their first day all the way through their program 
at what point does that student realize what they are got themselves into and what their future is going to take them? When they get their first job. Yeah. Yeah. So they go through the whole program. They learn a lot. I teach advanced mechanical ventilation at the school. They're humbled by their first midterm because most of them do horrible. Um, because it's their first introduction to how to take the board exam. So they, they're just used to being given information, memorizing stuff, and being able to take a test. Now they're, they have to critical think, and they really haven't applied that process yet. They're still learning that process. So after, for ABC's program, after the 202, 203 classes they take, and then they get into 204, they're ready. But once they get that first job, I've had several students I now that are my coworkers that say, I understand what you're talking about now. Yeah. So, well, I mean, what, do they change after their first clinical assignment when they do their rotation? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, no, not everybody. Not everybody. Yeah, but it's the ones that are really motivated, yeah, they do. They're really moved, and they're really thankful. Yeah, because it's you know I gave my first treatment. Yeah. I did my first blood gas. Yeah. I did chest compressions for the first time. I bagged. Yes. Absolutely. The first. Those are big. You know, yeah. Memories. The f I've actually had students who, when we walk up, and they've never given compressions before. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I wanted to get them in there to do that, and I'll put my hand on their shoulder and say, "All right, let's go in." And you see them walk away, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna have to have a conversation <laughs> with them because I don't think they really put it together. I, I didn't. I didn't know we drew blood when I got into RT school, and all of a sudden they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go draw an IBG," and I was like, "What's an IBG?" And then they're like, "Oh, we're gonna draw blood out of this person's wrist." I'm like, "We're gonna do what?" <laughs> So to see them grow and then learn these things and then get in there and do CPR. And then I remember one time having a student doing CPR and after we're all done, he did such a phenomenal job. And I learned it was his first time he ever did CPR and it was just him and I. Um, I wasn't in his, his instructor for the day. I was working at AV. He was with me for the day. We were in, um, oh my gosh, cath lab. The person was under the C-arm we had to do compressions outside with our arms hanging oh, over the patient. Burnout. Oh, it was, and it was just him and I. Yeah. And a third therapist, another therapist came down just to bag. So, and then I learned afterwards it was his first compressions, and it was incredible to see that. And, and you know, that, that's, the, that's the joy of teaching, right? So he will remember that. Oh, absolutely. With you for the, his entire career. That's and I'll never forget it. Story over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the benefit of teaching. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So you're giving back to the profession, and you're you're raising our next uh, workforce and our leaders. Yeah. So. We're doing the best we can. That was Chaz from LA. Next, we have Wendy, who is also from California. The voice you hear asking questions is our host, Jonathan Butler. By the way. So here's Wendy and Butler. I am the program director for a entry-level respiratory care program, and I am also a pulmonary function tech and bronchoscopy person. Great. So what is the future looking like with our students? I think this, the um, future is going to look like a bachelor's degree in my area. That's kind of what we're working on right now. Just that degree advancement, not just for those that are just finishing an associate's program, but for those already working in the field, having them go get those skills in leadership, um, in management of critical care patients, um, case management, and I think that is gonna push us forward and we're gonna beat nurses to being required to have a bachelor's degree in my opinion. Great, so what have you learned here at the conference that you're gonna take back? 
One of the things I always take back from the conference is just a re-engagement, excitement about my career. Um, but yesterday I took a um, module that the instructor, and he was an instructor from a college, takes the radiology department and brings it into the education to help identify how to best mechanically ventilate the patient. And since I teach the mechanical ventilator course, I think that is something I want to take in. More CTs, more MRIs, and not just the test x-ray um, to how to treat the patient. So to, to expand the, the field of respiratory, to get yeah. us into other areas that we were not normally in. Just to bring up our critical thinking skills to better advocate for our patients that maybe they don't need PEEP, they just need the oxygen, or maybe uh, they need PEEP on the ventilator. Great. So, I mean, what, what's enrollment like going forward? Because we have uh, more RTs, the, uh, more RTs program, because we need more respiratory in the fields. What is the uh, admission numbers looking like? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it flat? So since um, 2020, yeah. our program has gone from 12 students to 18, now to 24. Okay. Um, and that was at the request of the county because we just had so many job openings. Eventually, I think that's going to level out a little bit. Um, but still, because of the amount of people that left the field during COVID, I think we are going to continue to see enrollment numbers increase. Um, but it's about recruiting and getting the right students in there that not only want to get through the program, but want to stay in the field. So, I mean, at, at one point you were a student. So what got you into respiratory? So what got me into respiratory? Okay, so I w became a single mom of three kids and my middle child had asthma really bad and so I actually started school to go into nursing because it was going to make me money and take care of my kids and get me off welfare which I never wanted to go backwards and so the respiratory program at the college that I went to opened up and that's now where I teach and I said I want to be a respiratory therapist because my son spent more days in the hospital than he did in the classroom at that time and I wanted to help him and I my goal originally was to help other parents never go through the things that I went through because I just didn't understand how to take care of him. Um, once I became a respiratory therapist, I think he's only had, and he's still considered severe asthma, he's 25 now, um, he's only had two hospital stays since then. That's impressive. So when you're going through the program and you're learning from your first day on to graduate, are you thinking and considering how can I apply this to my son? I did. I really did. I was, um, when I learned about a peak flow meter for the first time, I was like, oh, I can stop him from having to go to the emergency room by just knowing he's having trouble before he even knows that he's having trouble. And it became routine in my household um, that he did this, and we did. We ended up decreasing the amount of hospital stays that we had or emergency room visits. Do you feel like you retain the information better because it's applicable to your real life? Absolutely, because anytime that you can connect what you're learning to something that motivates you, it's gonna stick. And, um, and then using it on top of it. So the more I was able to use that, the more I was able to retain the information. And that's, that's how I learned too. Um, every time I'm in a, an educational setting, I always imagine how I'm going to apply this to real life, but now you're the program director, right? So how do you get that across to the students where you want them to, to imagine 
how this is going to apply to their life. How do you achieve that in this in the classroom setting? So actually, on my first day of class with with my brand new students, um, we actually talk about what motivated them to get into the program, because that helps me then in turn create um, active learning things that will help them in their everyday life, which helps them be successful in the classroom. So for example, um, students that come in because they have a history of asthma, um, we end up using their history a little bit, if they're willing to share it, um, to come up with asthma education plans. So a teach back. Teach back. All right, no, that works. Uh, I mean, we do it in the hospital setting all the time. Yeah. You gotta return demonstration, when that's how you know you're competent if you can return that demonstration back. That's fantastic, I like that approach. I'm, I'm very much a believer of see one, do one, teach one, even with the students. Yeah. And I find that students that excel are the students that are helping other students because it helps themselves. So how often is that applied? Is it a daily thing, weekly, monthly, semester? Um, so we do it a lot in the very first semester because that helps me get to know the students and so that I can motivate them and engage them in the classroom. Um, and then um, we do a bit in uh, RCP 103, which is their disease management class, um, because again, what diseases have the students face and they bring their real life into it to keep them motivated. And then we do, um, every semester, we do case studies and the students present those case studies. Okay. And they're allowed to pick what, what motivates them, what, to, what patient motivated them, what patient um, got them questioning and wanting to know more. Great, yeah, I mean, it's a good approach. Are, are, is it reflective of the pass rates in the, on, when they take the boards? Um, I'm going to say that our pass rates are really, really good, and I don't know if it's, I think it's the critical thinking that we apply for our students. Um, we also use some programs that help us out, um, giving the students the skills to take the test. Not just the knowledge to take the test, but the skills to take the test is important as well. The board is, and is, the board is constantly changing, so it, it's not a straightforward test, and it, it makes sense. I mean, because that's not really what's going to make or break them as a therapist. So, but it's just a nice little assist to get through that board. So that makes sense. But uh, if there, are, if 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 you have a really high uh, pass rate, then obviously that return demonstration and uh, and the critical thinking and, and figuring out how respiratory applies to their life must be working then because it, it, it's not not all programs are probably doing that and I don't know if everyone's gonna have that high of a success rate so congratulations and I'm fortunate to um, work with now former students are now my colleagues and one of the things they tell me is though they hated doing those case studies but now because they did them they're able to critically think in situations in ICU it's a muscle memory, uh, it's how to assess a patient. Uh, and if they had to do it in class, now they go into the real world where they apply it and then they become better practitioners. Absolutely. So that's a great way to do it. I like that. It's fantastic. That was Wendy. And next on our show today, we have Benisco from Texas. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Benisco Voltaire. I've been on RT for 10 plus years. So, um, and uh, currently I work in leadership uh, in the Houston area. So it's a great pleasure to be here um, at the uh, Congress for this year to see everybody around. So it's a great experience, yeah. Awesome. How are you liking AARC? Uh, the AARC is a, a good uh, community of uh, providers and 
in here we have practitioners so um, I would say when we walk sometimes uh, in our different hospitals we probably don't feel like that community sense but when we all together in one place we uh, feel like we share some uh, communality but we have also um, things that really differentiate us from each other so that we can um, learn and then build up from there. This podcast is so about building up the community, like that is our goal. What is one thing you've learned from AARC that you're going to bring back to your community home? Uh, one thing I learned from here is uh, our profession is uh, growing very fast and uh, we need to um, uh, keep up uh, with the science um, that's uh, coming out, that means uh, the importance for us to uh, do research that really uh, targeted to our practice. And uh, we need to be uh, able to advocate for ourselves. So we should be able to uh, showcase uh, what we do. Uh, because one thing that uh, uh, I personally learned from the epidemic, uh, uh, I mean the COVID-19, is that um, uh, we probably uh, uh, among the uh, rare group of people that has the uh, really that experience um, that really can singularize us uh, from other providers in terms of what's really going on uh, with the patient from that standpoint. So I think that's uh, a good opportunity for us to share our experiences from there and also see how we're going to really move uh, forward in our profession. What, what inspires you every day? Uh, I mean, I work uh, currently mostly with cancer uh, patients. So um, so when I see uh, sometimes the, uh, you know, patient trust us, uh, but they don't know anything about us, right? So I think that's uh, uh, something that's uh, very motivating to me uh, so that I can honor the trust that uh, those patients they place on us. So they come to the hospital with high hope and high expectations, but they don't know anything about us. They don't know our skills, they don't know our heart, uh, but they expect a lot. So I think that to honor that trust, we need to put uh, time to build up our skills, but also to put our heart in what we do so that we can honor uh, that trust back to them. So in a way, that's what really motivating me. Whenever someone comes in, I know they have family who care about them. They have also some um, specific needs they want to uh, get addressed. And if I can be a little part uh, to really help them get there quicker, so I think uh, that's really motivating uh, to me. So the, I, I'll say basically, whenever I touch a patient, I try to um, see that person as someone looking for something. Uh, and I, if I can help them uh, get there uh, quicker, sooner, uh, safer, so I try to do that. I truly believe in a uh, data-driven, evidence-based uh, practice. And uh, for our field, uh, uh, I mean, as it is for uh, most of the healthcare uh, practices, so we have to uh, uh, do what really uh, the science says. And, uh, you know, and behind those numbers, uh, these are people. Uh, so, you know, beyond what we do every single day, uh, we have to look for answers, and those answers basically uh, lies from uh, what we do, what those data are telling us, and how we're going to really make sure that what we learn from uh, those patients, we uh, kind of like get better and better at what we do. Yeah, so, so I mean, it's it's always good to, to talk to other artists, so I really appreciate the work that we, you do to give me this opportunity to really talk to people. 
and uh, I hope that your, um, you know, this talk can really reach more and more people. You can impact more and more and more people every single day. Uh, hopefully, somebody would hear that and that would inspire them too. Um, to really go ahead in the community and do something that can make a difference for somebody else. So I think that's really good. I really encourage you and uh, to keep going and hopefully that, uh, you know, it can go bigger and bigger and bigger. That was Benisco. Thank you to all the respiratory leaders who joined our podcast this week. One of the goals of this podcast is to help celebrate the respiratory profession. So we asked these RTs if they would like to give a shout out to their teammates or colleagues who weren't at AARC. Now, if you know of someone who has something worth celebrating, you can also give them a shout out yourself by completing the form in the show notes. It's very um, humbling with the team that I do have because sometimes, you know, we get so wrapped up in just focused on hitting these goals and these benchmarks that I, I failed to stop and realize what they actually do. Um, and, and probably working for a guy like me who's like, I want this, I want this, I'm very demanding and I set the bar kind of high, but they may sit in their quiet places, think how can they hit me with their car, but they still come in every day and, and perform at a high level and, and provide for our patients and, and reaching these marks. So thank you to them and each one of them for the hard work and dedication that they do and they give to this profession. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to all um, uh, my uh, co-workers. Uh, they've been a lot. Uh, to my uh, um, mentors and, and professors. Uh, so uh, it, it's been a journey uh, for me personally. And, um, you know, to keep going uh, in this profession, it's been like a rewarding experience. And um, I'm really see uh, a, a good uh, positive in what we do uh, currently at the ARC. And then I'm very hopeful that uh, we're going to help define what uh, the respiratory care practice is going to be for the years to come. Shout out to all the healthcare professionals, specifically the RTs, that I don't think get enough um, shout outs for everything we went through during COVID. Yeah, keep on keeping on is exactly it. Hey, I'm here at ARC 22 in New Orleans. Shout out to Cincinnati Children's RT Snot Suckers. I've had way too many old fashions. Topped off with way too many IPAs. I'm going to give a shout out to you, Anna, because you've been amazing uh, during this ARC, and also John for being back. That was not planned. Thank you, no. Jerry. It was. <laughs> I appreciate the shout out there. That's so nice. You got it. That's it for this week's RT Sidebar. If you liked what you heard today, share, follow, like us wherever you get your podcasts. Better yet, join us for the next live recording by registering with the link in the show notes or go to vtherm.com slash RT Sidebar. Vapotherm does not practice medicine or provide medical services or advice. Any clinical recommendations provided herein are solely those of the speaker. Practitioners should refer to the full indications for use and operating instructions of any products referenced before use. Matt Pavicho, John Walsh, and Jonathan Butler are employees of Vapotherm. <laughs>